Welcome to I Got Back Up, Getting Back Up With. I'm Talia Lazarus, the founder of I Got Back Up, and in August 2021, my life changed. I was in a road accident, which led me to 10 weeks of no walking, knee surgery that September, and then double knee surgery in February 2022. After learning how to walk again in my 20s, my journey took me through greatest highs and extreme lows. Everybody has a story, and everyone's story is different, but even in the smallest of ways, we can all relate. And as humans, we always talk about when someone is back up, or how, why, and when something happened. We tend not to discuss the middle part, the recovery, the journey, the darkness, and the continuous roller coaster of ups and downs. It's a taboo subject for most, but here it's not. You have the chance to change your story. So come face to face with your fears and step out into the unknown. You don't have to be ruled by those fearful and negative emotions anymore because there is so much beauty and adventure on the other side. You can face all your obstacles and walls with us and those around you. You are not alone. We are stronger together. James Hinchcliffe is a race car driver and commentator best known for competing in the IndyCar series. In 2015, James was involved in a crash during practice for the Indianapolis 500 that changed his life. Suffering from life-threatening blood loss when he was impaired in the crash, James was back in a race car after only four months. He learned very quickly that your mind has an incredible impact on your body's healing. He had a goal to get back into a race car, and with goals, you change your mindset. With a whole new appreciation for life, understanding that his time could have been up that day, it has turned James into a yes man. From realising that saying, next time, could mean he might never actually get the opportunity again, His accident has changed him in every conceivable way, and in a lot of ways, he is super grateful for the stars aligning the way they did to experience just what he did that day. Today's episode, I'm with James. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm doing very well. So where in the world are you? Uh, I'm actually in Nassau at the moment, in the Bahamas. So life could be worse, let's put it that way. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. That is absolutely beautiful. Is the weather is the weather absolutely beautiful? It's everything that you would think it would be. Yes, I, uh, <laughs> I feel bad admitting it, but you know, needed to escape winter for a little bit, so we're down here for a little while. It's okay. Don't don't feel bad. I only had to de-ice my car this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so obviously we're here today to talk all about you, all about your story. So wherever you want to start, the ball is over to you. Wow. Okay. Well, um, probably should start with the the, the getting knocked down part, the uh, mm-hmm. the accident itself. <laughs> um, so for anyone that that is unfamiliar, I was um, an IndyCar racer for uh, eleven years, and back in two thousand and fifteen, uh, I was practicing for the Indy five hundred very, you know, mm-hmm. important race for us in the IndyCar world, largest single day sporting event on earth, kind of a big deal. And, um, you know, the speeds at Indy are quite high, you know, it's the fastest that, that we go all year. It's average lap speeds of, you know, 230 plus miles an hour. So you're turning it at the end of the back straights at close to 240 miles an hour. And on one of these practice days, um, right in the middle of one of the corners, I had a mechanical failure in the car and the right front suspension essentially collapsed right in the middle of the corner so at that point obviously you've got no control of the car and and it got sent into the Mm -hmm. wall and and uh i hit the wall at about 225 miles an hour and you know that's bad on a good day uh that alone (laughs) is is a is a bad thing but um on a bad day 
you hit at such an angle that it creates a problem that you don't normally see in IndyCar racing. Mm-hmm. IndyCar racing is pretty unique because of racing on ovals. They are inherently a little more dangerous than circuit racing, which we also do in IndyCar. Um, but you know how if you grab an egg end to end and you squeeze it, it's really hard to break it at just that right angle, yep. right? Well, apparently steel suspension pieces are very similar. And normally when you crash a car into a wall, the suspension folds up like spaghetti, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is on this particular day, the angle I hit, I must have hit at that egg angle, I call it, where the suspension did not fold. Instead, it shot through the tub of the car where the driver sits. Mm -hmm. Very, very rare thing to happen. And as it did that, it essentially went through my body. I got... I got impaled basically by this piece of suspension. And when that happened again, that's bad on, you know, in and of itself. But, um, as it, as it went through, it hit uh, the artery in my left leg, the femoral artery in my left leg. And I was Mm -hmm. very quickly bleeding to death. The, um, the nature of the injury was very unique. It had never really been seen before. So there wasn't really a protocol for how to deal with it, but, we're so lucky in the IndyCar series that we have this incredibly talented, very trained, very experienced group, the safety team yeah. that travels with us. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, EMS or EMTs in their spare time. Sometimes they are firefighters. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of experience in, in trauma situations. And they just sort of roll out on their, their experience and broke, I don't want to say broke protocol. There was no protocol. So they sort of made it up as they yeah. went. And um got me out of the car once they realized what the issue really was that I'd sort of been impaled by this piece of suspension and got me in the ambulance and uh, on the road to the hospital. And I was very fortunate because it's funny to say that I was very fortunate in this scenario, but I was very fortunate in the sense that uh, the closest level one trauma center to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is only four miles down the road. It is by a large factor, the closest level one trauma center to um, uh, any racetrack that we race at. Had it been at any other racetrack, I would not have survived. Yeah. Uh, the blood loss yeah. that I was uh, I was dealing with was pretty severe. There was no mm-hmm. blood in the ambulance. There was no blood on uh, in the medical facility at the racetrack. So they were pumping saline into me just to try to keep my blood pressure up. But I was I was mm-hmm. just losing blood at a phenomenal rate, and they weren't exactly sure where from just because of the nature of the in- in- injury mm-hmm. and multiple entry and exit wounds. Uh, so they got me to the hospital. They got two big lines in my arms to pump blood in. I was pumping it out as fast as they were pumping it in. So it was straight up to the OR and in the uh, elevator to the OR, they actually lost my pulse twice. Um, they were able to resuscitate me, get me in the OR, open me up, find mm-hmm. the problem and, and stem the bleeding. So that was just me sort of surviving the incident itself. Yeah. And then, you know, the recovery part starts yeah and uh i mean that's uh of accidents that's uh like you said i mean there's bad days good days but that's that's quite the accident <laughs> yeah i mean the, the failure itself that caused the accident yeah. it was a one in a million failure i know people that have worked in, in open wheel racing for 25 years have never seen that part fail yeah. and then the fact that once it failed i hit the wall in just a way that the suspension collapsed in a way yeah, or yeah. didn't collapse you know in a way that they very rarely see so yeah, it was a hundred things had to go wrong, just wrong for that yeah. accident to happen and that injury to happen. But a thousand things had to go just right for me to come out the other side of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. How long were you in the car then before they did get you out? Uh, it was probably about four or five minutes before they were able to get me out. And part of it was because though I was conscious, now mercifully, I don't remember any of this, but I, yeah. I took a, you know, a very um, morbid interest in you know my accident after the fact and spent a lot of time <laughs> talking to the safety crew and to, you know, my doctors and nurses and everything at the hospital. Uh, just trying to, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. Yeah. I don't know why I was so fascinated by it, but so I was conscious um, but severely concussed. So yeah. I was not able to verbalize what I was dealing with. Obviously my body was in shock at the same time. So they went to try to pick me up and pull me out of the car. And they're like, man, mm-hmm. he's really heavy. This is weird. And so they thought, well, maybe the force of the impact had sort of, you know, crumpled the car a little bit and, um, you know, collapsed a little bit of the tub and maybe my shoulders were being squeezed together because it had mm-hmm. sort of condensed a bit. So they grabbed, you know, essentially spreaders for the opening of the of the cockpit. And as they did that, they sort of heard this pop, like it was something relieving pressure of some kind and they mm-hmm. didn't quite understand why. But so then they, they went to go pick me up and, you know, one, one of the safety workers had their hands sort of under my, my legs trying to pick me up and and then one under each shoulder sort of thing, trying to pick me up. And the one with their hands under my legs took their hands out because like, why is it so warm? And they took their hands out and they were covered in blood. And they yeah. just had no idea, like, well, okay, this complicates things a little bit. So they pulled me yeah. out of the car. And normally in, an, in a situation where you're impaled by something, you're supposed to leave the object in until you get to the hospital. Well, yeah. they didn't know there was an object. And as they lifted me out of the car, it stayed attached to the car. So I was removed from the steel suspension. So they picked me up and they hear this thud in the seat. And one of the workers thought, oh, I must have dropped my radio. And they look down and they see this metal rod sticking in the car mm-hmm. and a pool of blood at the bottom of the seat. And they think, they kind of do the quick math. They're like, oh my God, this is what's <laughs> happened. So yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a tricky situation once they got me out. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating how you wanted to uh, understand and learn so much about your accident afterwards, or try to remember. And I think it's a really interesting thing because a lot of people, I find that people, it, it goes either way. Some people don't want to remember anything, and that's obviously how they heal. You know, that's how they deal with it, and how they heal. But some people, it's like almost they need to know, and I think it helps them process kind of the trauma that they've been through do you think that definitely helps with processing everything yeah very much so and, and I wonder too how much of it comes from how much you naturally remembered from the event yeah you know I feel like the people that remembered it want to forget it and the people that can't remember yeah. it would rather learn more about it almost you know it's <laughs> it's sort of this weird backwards thing but I um no I, I had a huge interest in learning you know first off just what happened to cause the accident and yeah. I wanted to make sure it wasn't a mistake that I made, right? I mean, obviously, as a driver, yeah. you want to—you don't want to question your ability or your decision making. And so, like, hey, was it something I did wrong that put me here? Okay, no, it was something completely out of my control. So that helps. Um, and then not remembering, you know, the physical, the impact itself, any of the pain of the extrication or anything like that, I think does help helped me kind of get over it in a sense. But then yeah. also sort of freed me up to want to learn about it because mm-hmm. whenever I you know look back and watch the video or I talk about it or was learning about mm-hmm. it at the time 
I, I, I made a very conscious effort to sort of disassociate anything that I was dealing with or going through from the race car or the racetrack or whatever, because mm-hmm. I didn't have a memory of it. I sort of taught myself, I had, I got in a car accident. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So I wasn't, I was never afraid of getting back in the car. I was never afraid of going back to that track. Uh, yeah. because to me, the two things were almost unrelated. And so when I watch yeah. the video, it's like you watching the video. Yeah, I'm as connected to it as you are. Like I, it doesn't seem like it's me in the car. And yeah. so I, that's why I was just, I was, I was just so fascinated. I'm like, okay, well, I can learn about this because it's not, good. it's just, <laughs> it's just an accident. It's just a video yeah. of an accident. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting way to look at it. And I think that's the thing when you are obviously in a race car, you know, you, you know what you're doing, you have control of what you're doing. And then obviously if something happens to the car, which is completely out of your control, I guess, you know, it's in a way, I, I mean, would I imagine it's scary because once you lose control, you lose control. It's like, what can happen? And, and you know, being a professional race car driver, you, you're, you're experienced for every kind of situation. But when you do lose control, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah, and that's that's your only job, really, right? Yeah. Is to maintain control of this car. and. Yeah. In racing, it's really unique because compared to a lot of other sports, there are so yeah. many things outside of your control, right? Um, the, the car could be set up wrong. An engine could fail. Someone else could take you out. The yellow flags mm-hmm. could come out at the wrong time. So it's not just you and the car. It's not just you and your craft. There are a thousand variables that go into winning yeah. a motor race. And as a driver, you control about 12. And so yeah. when you make a mistake, on one of those 12 things that you actually can control, it's, it's, you take it very hard. Right. And so there nine times out of 10, if a driver goes out of a race or there's a problem or something happens, it's not actually something that they had direct control over. And so again, when it, when it is your fault, you take it very personally and it's very hard to overcome. (laughs) Uh, So it was a huge relief when I found out that it was like, no, this one was just circumstance. (laughs) Typical driver. I always try to find excuses like, no, it wasn't my fault. Right. But that's, that's sort of how it goes. Yeah. And how do you, so how did your recovery go then? Obviously you're in the hospital, you know, you've just come out of the, you know, operating theater kind of, you know, what happened next? So next I woke up, right. You know, as, as far as I was concerned, I had been driving the car, everything was fine. And in a blink of an eye, I'm in the hospital laying on a back brace, staring up at a bunch of bright lights, tube down my throat and a bunch of very concerned people standing around my bed. And, you know, I had to communicate with a pen and a piece of paper. And yeah. my first thought was, okay, something has gone wrong. And um, one of the other drivers is a very close friend of mine, ha- happened to be there. Um, he had mm-hmm. kind of rushed to hospital right as it happened. Um, and, and so I wrote down on a piece of paper. And my first question was, um, what happened? My second mm-hmm. question was, where's my family? Because I knew my mom was going to be just not thrilled about yeah. this situation. And then my third question was, when can I get back in the car? And the doctors were very upset by that question. They, uh, they were like, hang on a minute. We've just spent the last like four hours in surgery trying to save you from what the car did to you. And your third question is, when can you get back in it? And I just write Y-E-S, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And so it, it, was, it was funny because the, um, the nature of the injury was so unique. You know, it was very kind yeah. of unheard of. Uh, that when you're immediately, you know, I'm just out of sedation, I'm still concussed and all, like all these things working against me. And so as they tried to explain what happened, 
I'm going to say it conservatively took me like three days before I truly grasped how I was hurt. Like, I'm like, okay, I had a crash. I'm in the hospital. Okay. And they, you know, they told me I was going to recover. Um, Mm -hmm. That was established fairly early. But I still Mm -hmm. like, I would still just, I remember sitting there sometimes and like, I would look over my nurse and be like, sorry, one more time. What, what happened? Like, what is wrong with me? Like, I could not figure out the injuries. Um. And I was very fortunate that uh, I broke no bones. The, the the metal that went through me, it was all soft tissue damage. It missed all my organs. Mm-hmm. It missed all my skeletal structure. Um, wow. So it was essentially just a lot of soft tissue healing that needed to happen. So, you know, they originally said uh, <clears throat> you would be, you know, bedridden for about two weeks You'd probably be in hospital for a month and it's going to be six months before you're back in a car. Um, so I, I ended up getting out of my bed on day four. I got out of the hospital in 10 days and I drove a car four <laughs> months later because that's what, that's what athletes do. Um, but it was, it, that was, that was the trickiest part of the recovery, right? Athletes make the worst yeah. patients. I think any doctor would tell you that. And it's because we're wired to push, to go further, to yeah. do more. And my doctor was like, you literally need to do less. Like the less that you do, the better your body's <laughs> going to heal. So it's like, I know that you want to do more, but I need you to yeah. do more less. Do less more. I'm like, I, and I really struggled <laughs> with it. I was, I was really, really struggling with this, with this concept until yeah. I could find a way to turn it into a competition. So, you know, when I was discharged from hospital, I was given a pedometer. And I was allowed to mm-hmm. walk a certain number of steps a day. And other than that, they wanted me to rest. And so I was like, okay, if the, if the goal here is to do less, I'm going to do the least less, the most less <laughs> you can possibly do. And so <laughs> I, w- I would be given my pedometer. And I think my first uh, threshold was like 600 steps. And yeah. so I would plan my day where I would get out of bed. I would walk to the couch. I knew how many steps that was. Mm-hmm. I would budget like I think three trips to the bathroom kind of thing. I knew how many <laughs> steps that were. And then I and then I knew how many steps it was to get back to my bed at night. Like, okay. So that leaves me four hundred and eighty-two steps. So I would get up and I would walk around my couch, laps around my couch until I reached my four eighty-two and I would sit back down. I was like, okay, that's it. Now I've got my three trips <laughs> to the bathroom, my trip back to the bed. I'm not moving for the rest of the day. And I, I made a game, I made a challenge out of matching the number on my pedometer that I was allowed to reach. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden it was, it was palatable, yeah. right? It was, even though sitting there sucked, it was, that was the competition. And so every yeah. two or three days I was allowed to up my number. And so I would, they would give me a new target and I would do the same thing and just toddling around laps around my couch. So shuffling around like an old man. Um, <laughs> And, and that was just giving my body time to heal. Um, I had yeah. to maintain a, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a diet, like a specific diet, not like a, yeah. not like a diet diet, but just a certain sort of meal plan for a while. And so I tried to be strict about that. Um, and then eventually got to the point where I was allowed to start going back to the gym and get the physical training back mm-hmm. because after, mm-hmm. you know, two months of just of literally doing nothing, it's amazing how much your body atrophies and how quickly right. that all disappears. And so then it was the process of trying to get back into shape to be able to go back into the race car. 
Yeah. I love what I actually love is how during your recovery, especially the very early stages, that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's one of the hardest times to be in, you know, when you're fresh out of hospital or, you know, those first few weeks or whatever, but you were able to find a way to kind of get through that, that mundane or that really hard time is you found a way to, to do it. And I think that's almost that, that, that kind of, for anybody that listens to this and anyone listening now is it, it almost gives people ideas and, and, and different ways they could do it. You know, there could be someone sitting at home right now listening to this and that could give them a, you know, an idea to think, you know what, if he can do this, I'll do something else. Because during that time when you are sitting on the couch or you're sitting in bed and, you know, you have to, you know, lie there you do think, well, what can I do to just change anything or make any of this better? And I, I actually think that was a really interesting way that you did that. Yeah, I, I, I learned early, and like it's, you know, it's funny. It sounds very cliche, but I mean, I, I, you can relate to this, and I know many people you've met can relate to this. Um, your mind has an incredible impact on your body's healing. And the mindset you carry into the healing process, I now very firmly believe, you know, if you told me this before, I would have been like, yeah, I guess maybe, or your body just heals because that's what it does. Right. But (laughs) now that I've been through it, I very, very firmly believe that. And I was highly motivated because I had a goal, right? My goal was to get back into the race car. So that changes your sort of your mindset and how you perceive certain things. And staying positive, you know, looking at the things that are going right in your day rather than the things that are going wrong in your day. It's so tough to do sometimes, but the mindset that you carry throughout the healing process, I think has such an impact on how quickly and how thoroughly and effectively and fully the body heals. And so like, that would be my advice to anybody is set yourself goals, incremental goals, Mm -hmm. make them small, make them attainable, and make them slowly build towards, you know, some sort of ultimate goal. And then again, always focus on the positives that have happened in a given day. Don't focus on the negatives. Keep that positive mindset because I truly, truly believe it affects how the body reacts to healing. Yeah. And I think even if you can find the smallest of, even if it's the tiniest one little thing that is a positive thought, I think that tiny little positive thought is, you know, more help to your body in the healing process than, every other negative th- thought you're going to think that same day. Yeah. I mean, they, they you know, the, the studies about what stress does to your health, right. And how that affects the body. And so that's, that's obviously a very clear indication of the power of the mind over the body. And so just think about that. If you're stressing out about the things that are going wrong or the things that hurt or this, then the other, yeah. I'm not trying to downplay them. I've been there. I know it, it hurts and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the mindset. It's the focus on the positive stuff. I think it just helps so much. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And then did you have any fear about getting back in the car or not at all? Honestly, no. Um, the The only thing that I would, I would call even close to fear was there was maybe a bit of apprehension in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a, to be a, to be a good driver, to be within yeah. 3% of the top, right? You can go out and drive around and you're going to be better than 99.9% of people that tries to do this, but there's that 0.1% that are still always going to beat you. That last few percent 
like anything is so mental. It's, it's almost like a subconscious part of your brain that just operates. And so I had no conscious fear or concern about getting back into the car. I was willing to accept the same risk. Racing's still dangerous. I could still get hurt again or worse. And that didn't bother me in the slightest. What I had apprehension over was, was, was that last little bit in my brain willing to unlock itself to push that last yeah. two or three percent to make sure I could perform at this level. And mm-hmm. that was my concern. And so, you know, after four months, I got back into the car for a test and, um, you know, I had this, this moment, there was, it's kind of tough to explain. There's one corner, it's a very fast corner. And if something goes wrong there, it'd be a big crash or whatever. And I had this sort of big oversteer correction moment yeah. and like, without even thinking, corrected it just fine. Never hesitated on the throttle. Like it didn't, like, yeah. the moment came and went, I barely even registered it. And then after I, after it was over sort of thing, I kind of looked back and went, Oh yeah. Okay. I guess we're good. <laughs> you know, and so that was kind of that moment where I was like, yeah. Uh, okay. No, I think we're going to be able yeah. to. Yeah. I think that, but that is, that was the moment. And I think people have those moments where they maybe subconsciously do something or they do, you know, they know they're doing it, but they go, right, I'm going to do this today. And as soon as they've done it, it's kind of a, wow, like kind of pat yourself on the back moment. And you kind of know once you've done that, you can do anything after that. It, it, it's always—it's like that one step, that one moment, that one boundary you just need to cross to unlock. Yeah, unlock something in your mind. And once you unlock it, it's like it feels limitless after. Yeah, and, and you often don't know what that is going to be, right? It just—it's something that just yeah, sort of yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. You can't plan it. Like, all right, if I'm going to try this, and if it goes well, it just sort of has to happen on its own. And that you know, say that light bulb sort of comes on at that time. Yeah, yeah, the light bulb moments are. They are truly one of a kind because you're right. They, you, sometimes you don't know what they're going to be. You don't plan it and it happens and you're just kind of like, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. Did you, have one? <laughs> you know what? I think I'm trying, something came to my mind while you were talking. So I think this could have been my light bulb moment because it came to my mind. It was when I was at the gym and, um, it was, uh, it was only a, it was only a month ago or so. And I, in my recovery with my training, I am doing jump onto a box. I'm jumping up onto a box. And I remember I've got a video of me, you know, jumping on the first box back after my second surgery. And I love watching that video because I'm swinging my arms and I'm, you know, psyching myself up and I get on it, but I I topple over. And it was a, it was smaller. And then slowly, slowly, I, you know, brought steps in or I made the box a bit higher in the gym. And then it was about, I've maybe about six weeks ago now. And I, I thought I went to a higher box and I'd been using the steps. And then one day I kind of looked at the box and I thought, you know what? I don't want to use the steps today. I don't want that little extra help. I want to see if I can do this today on my own. I want to see if I could do this today. And I moved the steps to the side. And I remember I had to psych myself up and I took this big leap onto the box. And I remember as soon as I jumped onto the top of that box, I mean, I know I was a little bit higher, but I felt like I was on top of the world. And what was amazing was 20 seconds earlier, I kind of said to myself, no, 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 don't take the steps away yet. No, 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 don't do it. And then I also said to myself, no, 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 take the steps away. Just do it. Because if you don't, if you don't do it today, you might not do it tomorrow. You might not do the next day. Just do it today. And I remember as soon as I made that jump, 
I know it's like a small moment, but as soon as I made that jump to that height, I just rem- I, like, I remember the feeling like, oh, and I think that was a light bulb moment for me because I thought, wow, I can jump this high now. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting when you get those, you know, you get them in the most random of moments in the most random of times, but that's usually when they're the most amazing. So magical in a yeah, way. <laughs> it really is. It's transformative, right? It just, it, again, it yeah. kind of takes your, again, takes your mindset to that next level of like, okay, now I've, yeah, you yeah. almost broke down a barrier you, you weren't even entirely sure you had, or you yeah. didn't know where it existed. And now it's just, again, opens up so much more potential. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you don't intend, like you, like we were saying, you don't intend to do it. You know, I didn't intend to jump higher that day. It was never something I planned. And I just had this feeling inside that was like, you know what, do it. You know, don't be scared. Just do it. The worst that was going to happen was I was going to maybe stack it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I was willing to small, put myself out there and give it a go. Exactly. Just stack it in front of everyone in the gym. I was willing to do it. <laughs> At the confidence. <laughs> Don't worry, I've stacked it a few times since, you know. Sometimes the legs get tired after a few sets, but I still go. <laughs> of course, of course. You gotta keep going. <laughs> but yeah, so it's definitely sometimes it is just putting it's it's taking yourself out of your comfort zone and doing that step. So whatever the step is. And how are you, how are you then now as everything, how are you physically and mentally? How is it all going? Yeah. I mean, I was so fortunate that there were really no lasting side effects from, from the accident. Um, yeah. I got some cool scars, but um, <laughs> otherwise uh, physically, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of got all the way back to uh, to hundred percent. So nice. it's, um, you know, it's crazy. I, I look back on it and, you know, I talk to people about it sometimes and I say in a lot of ways, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because yeah, yeah I was so lucky. You know, I was so unlucky in how it happened. I was so lucky to just survive it at all. And then yeah. so much luckier again that I got to sort of experience that and, and learn that life lesson with really no lasting side effects. And, you know, people ask all the time, like, oh, did it change you professionally? Like, were you willing mm-hmm. to, you know, take the same risks and do this that, and the other. And I said, no, I mean, professionally, I would have done every single thing that I would have done yeah. before the accident, after the accident, it didn't change me at all. Personally, changed me a ton, changed me yeah. a ton and for the better in every conceivable way. So I, uh, yeah. I am in a lot of ways, super grateful for, yeah. you know, whatever the stars aligning in the way they did to have me sort of experience that thing. and. Um, one of the, one of the really important lessons it's, it taught me was to, to try a little harder to understand things that I haven't been through and issues and problems that either individuals go through or, you know, society's experiencing. So like the direct example for me was I became a very big advocate for blood donation after, after this accident, (laughs) you know, I needed uh, 22 units of blood were pumped into me. My body only yeah. holds 11. So I was pumping it out as fast as they were pumping it in. So I had, I had yeah. two full oil changes is the joke I like to make. And um, in, in discussing this with, you know, my doctors and nurses, I sort of learned a lot about how critical the shortage of blood is a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I just had no idea, right? You hear advertisements for blood drives or whatever, and you kind of just assume that people are going and they've got what they need because it's never yeah. like a, 
full court press. Oh my God, if everybody that's eligible doesn't go donate blood tomorrow, we're all going to die. So <laughs> you don't hear that. So you're like, yeah, I assume it's fine. It's taken care yeah. of. And, and it's, that's just not the case. And so I've spent a lot of time and energy and effort working with kind of my, yeah. my local Red Cross uh, affiliate where we live in Indianapolis and then also uh, across the U.S. and Canada advocating and, and just trying to raise awareness. We've hosted a bunch of blood drives over the years, uh, which is something I'm really proud of. But I hate that it took me going through something where I needed it to then be like, oh, yeah, now this is important. Um, yeah. I, so I... I I don't want everybody to have to go through something like that or have a loved one go through something like that to realize this is an issue. So then I sort of started applying that to other things. And it's like, okay, well, I don't want to wait for another bad thing to happen to me or to someone I love before I realize that this is an under, you know, serve sort of cause. Uh, so I've tried to look at other things like that. And, and again, just do whatever I can to help, whether it's volunteer for something or raise awareness for something. Um, it's, it's definitely made my uh my philanthropic side a little more <laughs> a little more courageous <laughs> and uh and active um but it just it, it sounds again it sounds corny and cliche but it just gives you a whole new appreciation for life yeah you know um yeah. you, you never know when it's your time it very easily could have been mine that day and what i yeah. have looked back on what i had done up to that point with any regret or wish i had done xyz or whatever and uh turned me into a bit of a yes man because i used to be yeah. i used to be i used to be like the guy that was like oh i want to do that next time i'll do it next time i'll definitely go next yeah. year i'll definitely do it you know call, when, when you're going again you know I, that was always me and uh yeah. and so i stopped doing that because might not have a next opportunity to do something yeah. so if something cool came around i was like yeah i might not actually even want to do this but i'm going to try it because i don't know if i'll ever get the opportunity yeah. again, you know yeah. No, I, I, everything you just said, I couldn't agree more with you. And I, because I, I look at it exactly the same way, you know, when I had my accident, had I have fallen a different direction that day, that could have been my time. And I've spoken to people about it and it, you know, any other direction that would have been it. Like I could have gone that day. So in exactly the same way as you, I, especially more recently have started to say, yes to life a lot more a, a lot more it it it, it just it's it's eye-opening and there are things now that I've done even the smallest of you know little things that I've done that you know the past Talia would have said nah I'll do it tomorrow or I'm too tired yeah, yeah. or you know I, I don't want to whereas now if even if that creeps in I'm like you know what just do it you know you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow so if you want to do it, just, just do it. So I, I, a hundred percent, like I relate on every level with that. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a very kind of cool thing to, to reach, you know, a cool yeah. point to reach. And, um, we really took it, you know, to an extreme this year because I, you know, I retired from driving full time. And so yeah. now I'm, I'm doing television commentary. Um, so I still travel to all the races and all that, but I have a lot fewer commitments in between, um, in terms of, you know, you're not, engineering meetings and sponsor commitments and all those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. So a lot more things that I was able to do that for the last 20 years of my life, because of my career, I've had to say no and focus on my one thing. Yeah. So, you know, my wife and I made the joke at the start of the year, like we're going to say yes to absolutely everything that happens so that's <laughs> put in front of us personally, professionally, whatever. 
And yeah, yeah, yeah. man, 2022 was the busiest year of my life. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it was great. You know, I got to do a lot of things and, and go places that we probably wouldn't have otherwise. And uh, yeah. maybe overdid it a little bit. Was pretty tired by the end of the year. But <laughs> I committed to that year. And so now you kind of find that balance and you know, you know, you know where it is. But yeah. uh, no, I think it's, it's just a great way to, to go about, you know, go about life. Yeah. And you're right in the sense of saying that, you know, you had to unfortunately go through what you went through to figure these things out. Similar to me, I had to do the same, but I wouldn't wish this, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my accident for anything in the world. People ask me, I wouldn't change it for anything on anything I've been through. I would go through it all again, you know, say I, you know, I was asked, but I wouldn't wish it upon anyone right. else. And it is one of those right. things where, you know, I would, I would wish people didn't have to go through these things and they could still learn to say yes to life. And, but sometimes I think, unfortunately what happens is, is it does take these moments and these experiences for us to then really sit back and go, okay, let's, let's change this. Let's, let's change everything. But yeah, I wish more people didn't have to go through them to realize that. Humans frustrating. I mean, (laughs) no, no, look, trust, trust me on this one. Right. I've been there. This is how you should do it. I promise you it's better. This is probably how you should do it. But yeah, no, it's, you're right. So often that's, that's, that is unfortunately what it takes. And so again, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to spread that message. You know, I've done a bit of public speaking and stuff like that and tried to sort of explain that to people. And I think, I think it does resonate with some for sure. You know, I get a lot of messages from people that have, you know, commented on either with interviews I've done or speaking engagements I've done or whatever. And, um, it's, uh, it's great. Every, even if it's just one person, even if my entire accident is up one other person, see it that way, then fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it is funny that it still sometimes takes people that little nudge (laughs) or in our case, big nudge. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I like the uh but trust me, yeah. please. I've been through it. Just trust me. You don't want to have to learn the way I did. Just take my word for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's uh it's very funny that. Yeah, and I agree. It is. It's just I think that's just what humans do, isn't it? They never think it's going to well, you never think it's going right. to be you. Right. I think that's maybe where it the undertone is is you never think it's going to be you. So, and then unfortunately one day it is you and then it's like, "Oh, yeah, or oh. someone close to you, and you know, the older you get, you, yeah. you're just every day that goes by, you increase exponentially the chances of somebody you know having something yeah. crazy, or you know, a one in a million thing happen to them, or happen to you, or whatever. And so, at some point, I feel like everybody does reach that, or you know, has that yeah. that moment or experience that sort of you know turns the light bulb on for them. But uh, yeah, yeah the, the sooner you reach that point, I think the the better off you are. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And then if you had any advice for somebody that um, they, you know, they're on the couch right now, and they might not see the, you know, the light, they don't have the hope, and they're they're scared, for whatever reason, they're scared. What, what, what is the one piece of advice that you would give them? I honestly just think it kind of goes back to the, you know, being goal oriented, um, yeah. you know, because different people are, are scared by or intimidated by different things. It's tough yeah. to tell someone to, you know, just, just, you know, hunker down and, and yeah, buck yeah. up and get, I mean, maybe something they're facing is just a, you know, a crippling anxiety or fear for them. And the, the way I've always found to get over those things when I find myself in those situations is these, these little goals and it's important to make them little, yeah. right? You always, it's always good to have an end goal, but understand that getting from, 
you know, uh, point A to your end goal, your end goal isn't B, right? Your end goal is like L or X, right? And so you've got to go from A to B. You can't go there in one jump. You've got to go from A to B yeah. and then B to C and then C to D. And and if you if you stage it out like that and kind of make these incremental goals, it just, it makes every little one more achievable. Then everyone you achieve, you gain more confidence. You okay. overcome that fear a little bit. And then it makes the next step that little bit easier. And you can make the jumps a little bit bigger then. And then eventually you'll get to where you're going. Um, but yeah, don't, people I think get, get caught up on trying to make that jump in one step. And if it doesn't go well or they yeah. don't accomplish when they think they failed, but that's not the case. It really is about small incremental victories that get you to what, mm -hmm. you know, your end goal is. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's trying your very, very hardest to not feel defeated, mm -hmm. even by the small ones, because, you know, there'll be another small one an hour later or the next day or the following week. And we all get defeated. You know, we don't all, even the goals, the tiny goals that we set, we don't all do them, you know, the first time around anyway, but it's not letting yourself get defeated even by the smallest goals, because if you just keep doing and you keep taking those little tiny steps, yeah, that, that, that dream or that vision that you want, you know, that big goal, you do get that little bit closer to it every day, as long as you don't give up. Yeah. The, the other one that, that sort of helped me when it was a really bad time, you know, so yeah. in, in the case of a recovery, cause that, I mean, that, that, that small goal oriented process. I mean, that works for any, you don't have to be yeah. recovering from something that could just be, Hey, I want yeah. a new house. I want a new job. I want this. I want that. Yeah. You can apply that same philosophy. Um, but certainly in, in a recovery, there are, there are different challenges. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I would do when it was a bad day, something really hurt, you know, the, the pain was more, mm -hmm. the discomfort was high, whatever it was. Um, you know, I'd gotten out of hospital and then I had a complication. I had to go back into hospital and you're like, no, that, that seems like a step back. Every time I had a day like that, I would always just sit there and tell myself and I would just repeat it over and over in my head. This is just a phase because everything yeah. you're going through is just a phase. It might be an hour. It might be a month. It might be a year, but it yeah. will change. It will get better. It is just a phase. And you got to remind yourself that there is an end to whatever that feeling is. Yeah. There is an end point to it. And I've used that myself a ton. I have, I have passed that on to some friends that have gone through some things. Mm -hmm. And that was, it's always my kind of mantra to them is just this, this day, this moment, everything you're feeling right now is just a phase and it will yeah. improve. Yeah. And I think people can, you know, look back on that and it's like things you've got through in the past, you were able to get through those in the past. So you can get through whatever it is today for as sure. well. Yeah. You got to draw on past experiences. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So is there anything else that you'd like to share today or? No, I think that I think that sort of covers my story. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I have loved hearing. I love, I love hearing everyone's advice but what I find so interesting is that everyone would still go through what they've been Isn't through that funny and that yeah it, it's a it's a really and I, I was gonna ask you and then you said it anyway I think it's I think it's fascinating that everyone would still go through what they've been yeah, through that is so that is fascinating I'm I mean again yeah. I said it so maybe I shouldn't be surprised but it's still it still seems a little <laughs> bit surprising but uh 
but yeah, that just shows you the, the power of what you learn going through something like that. Yeah. So again, just listen to us. <laughs> Dead guy nice. Trust us. We've, we've done it for you. We've done our work. Just, just go with it now. Just trust us, please. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure, Talia. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for joining me, James. And seriously, do trust us. You don't want to learn the way we did. You can start changing your life today. One tiny step and goal at a time. And remember James's mantra... Whatever you're feeling today at this moment, it is just a phase and it will improve. You got through it in the past, so you'll get through this too. So a takeaway for the week. The next time you're presented with an opportunity, instead of saying tomorrow or next time, say yes. You have no idea where you'll end up. And that is pretty exciting. <laughs>